are listening to Perks of Being a Book Lover, a show about books, people who read, and how reading at its very best is a social experience. Whether it be a book club, a poetry slam, or the production of a play, words are meant to be shared. There is the old philosophical question. If a tree falls in the forest and no one hears it, does it make a sound? Likewise, if you read a book and don't discuss it, have you enjoyed all the perks of being a book lover? I'm your host, Amy. I've been a member of numerous book clubs over the last 25 years and started quite a few. I love asking people what they're reading so that they'll ask me the same. I'm a vintage bookseller, a traveler wannabe, and a fanatic about dogs. And I'm your host, Carrie. I'm an English teacher, a freelance writer, a blogger, and the person whose Instagram feed features more photos of my cats than my kids. Each week, we will talk with a guest who shares the love of reading, how they impart that passion, and what books really catch them on fire. We will also tell you about our literary lives, what books are on our nightstands, and other bookish fun. Welcome. We want to take a moment to talk to you about the Give for Good Louisville campaign. Forward Radio, a community radio station, helped hold our hands when we began taking baby steps with the perks of being a book lover show. So we'd like to help support the station on September 12th with Louisville's Give for Good campaign. Give for Good is a special 24-hour online giving day that helps support many worthy local organizations. If you'd like to support Forward Radio and the community voices that the station promotes, please visit giveforgoodlouisville.org and search for Fellowship of Reconciliation. For a $20 donation, you can support a full day of broadcasting of the Forward Radio station. We'd be thrilled if you'd consider any donation amount to help support Perks and the other programmers on this community-based station. Thank you. I discovered the book club we will talk about today purely by accident. I was looking at the website of my local art museum, the Speed Art Museum, because I was buying tickets for the Toni Morrison documentary that aired this summer called The Pieces I Am at the Speed's Attached Cinema. Well, on the website, I saw a listing for the Speed Reading Club, a funny play on words title for their book club sponsored by the museum. My interest was piqued. What kind of book club would it be? I contacted today's guest, Shannon Carroll, Director of Education, and she was so eager to tell me about the club and invited me to sit in on a session. There, I also met Cheryl Sweeney, a dedicated regular member of the group. Shannon and Cheryl talked to Carrie and I about how the club integrates books and art at the museum, why reading a novel can make viewing art less intimidating, which book-art pairing involves a former president solving mysteries, and which gallery in the museum makes all the school children imagine Harry Potter. Our discussion today just reminds me that visual art and the art of words on the page are just two sides of the same coin. It's a day at the museum on Perks. So we're here today. We're special guests at the Speed Art Museum in Louisville, Kentucky, and we are here with Shannon Carroll, who's the Director of Education at the Speed, and also with Cheryl Sweeney, who is a member of the book club that the Speed sponsors. It's called the Speed Reading Club, which is a really cute name, and she's also a docent here. So welcome, ladies. Thank you for having us. (laughs) First of all, Shannon, tell us a little bit about you and your journey here to the Speed Art Museum and what you do here. Sure. So I grew up in Michigan, and when I started college, I thought I wanted to be a high school English teacher and then took an art history class and fell in love with it. Um, So I declared art history as a major and have 
kind of worked in museums ever since. I worked at the Dallas Museum of Art for seven years in their education department. I was at the Cincinnati Art Museum for two years, also in education, and I've been here at The Speed. It will be four years next month. Um, so I started out here overseeing our docent program and our school and teacher programs, and then about a year ago was named Director of Education. And Cheryl, tell us a little bit about you and and your journey here to The Speed as a docent and just in general. Well, I was a little... Uh, less straightforward than that. I was actually born outside of Louisville, um, went to Chicago for grad school, stayed there. Um, I was a history major and I was always interested in art and I worked for 20 years at an insurance company that was uh, within easy walking distance of the Art Institute. So I'd go over there at lunch if I was having a particularly bad day. <laughs> <laughs> and I had always wanted to be in museums, but back when I was going to school at the path wasn't as clear-cut as it is now. Museum studies wasn't such an isolated thing. I worked with the thought in mind that, well, when I retire, I want to be a docent at an art museum. I would be able to combine my love of history and love of art and just imparting knowledge. So when we retired, we moved back here, and I applied to the program, and uh, Shannon found me an acceptable candidate. <laughs> <laughs> and I also ended up dosing at a couple of historic house museums. So I can really use all those things that I find interesting. You're like a professional docent. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about the Speed Reading Group and how that came about. Yeah. Well, I, I'll start off because you mentioned the name. We love to use the word speed and puns of, off of the word speed whenever we can. So it was uh, too tempting not to call this the speed reading book club. But hopefully people do take their time and savor the books and don't just speed read them. Well, I should say here, every time that Amy would text me or call me when we were setting this up and she would say the speed reading club, I kept thinking speed as in, you know, how fast. And so <laughs> then I would go, oh, wait the art museum. Okay. So she thought y'all were reading really, really fast. Um, but it was a little over a year ago, a year and a half ago, really, um, we were hosting an exhibition called Women Artists in the Age of Impressionism. And out of the blue, I received an email from a woman named Elise Hooper. And she is an author based in Seattle. And she told me about a book she had written that had recently been published called The Other Elcott. And she said that um, when the Women Artists exhibition had been at the Denver Art Museum, she heard from several people who visited the exhibition who thought her book had a lot of great connections. And her book is the fictional story of May Alcott, the younger sister of Louisa May Alcott, the inspiration for Amy in Little Women, and about her career as a female artist studying in Paris in the 19th century, which is exactly when this exhibition was set. It was focused on female artists living and working in Paris towards the end of the 19th century. Um, so Elise offered to send me a copy of her book, and I said, sure, we'll figure out something to do with it. And if nothing else, I get to read a new book, which is always exciting. And so after reading it and thinking about how it related to the exhibition, I thought, well, we could do a tour where we ask people to read the book, and then we can take a tour of the exhibition and make connections between the two. And so the day arrived for the first book club meeting, and I kind of sat and held my breath waiting to see if anybody was going to show up. And we had 12 people who attended. And as we wrapped up our hour and a half together, they all looked at me and said, okay, when are we doing this again. And I said, well, I hadn't planned on it, <laughs> but give me your email addresses and I'll pick another book and I'll let you know what I decide. And so it was 
that let's see, we met in April and then it was July when we met again. Um, and after that, we started meeting every other month and that's been our schedule ever since. Um, and so a lot of the people who were there that very first day still come to the book club every time that we meet. But we've picked up new visitors, new participants along the way. We've had a couple of men join us, which has been exciting. And I would say the age range for the book club really ranges from people in their early to mid 20s to people in their 50s, 60s, 70s. So, you know, all ages find ways to connect with these books and with the Speeds collection through the book club. Do you find that the numbers vary quite a bit from month to month of the people who yes. attend? Yes. And I think a lot of that has to do with seasonality. So like for in July, we had a, a lower turnout than we would normally have um, because people are on summer vacation and everything like that. For books that relate to impressionism or books that relate to art movements that people really know a lot about and are excited about, we've had upwards of 30 to 35 people oh, wow. attend the book club. That's a lot of, that's <laughs> a lot of people. I also, I think it sometimes depends on the book because we had a, the first one where we had m- three men, I think, was a novelist that the men were interested in. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it is the book that pulls them in, too. Mm -hmm. So is there any challenge to having various sizes? I know you say sometimes you have as few as 12 people, and sometimes you've had upwards of maybe 40 people. Does that pose a challenge in any way? The ones where we have more like 30 or 40 people, it's tough for everybody to feel like they can have a voice or that they can kind of get their opinions or their feelings about the book out there. So I think if we continue to grow, we may need to start thinking creatively about that. But from a a capacity or a space perspective, our galleries are big enough that, you know, we could have 60 people in the book group (laughs) and we'd have plenty of space. So... Now, Cheryl, have you been a part of the book globe since the beginning? Yes. Uh, I had actually read the book okay. before um, the first one, so I thought, okay, it'll be really nice to have a discussion on this book that I loved, and I thought they should be selling here. <laughs> uh-huh. So, uh, yeah. yeah. And it was I had always wanted to be in a book club, but had never had the opportunity. So that was like a double Thing to me. Before we started recording, you had said you're in several book clubs. Was this the first one? This was the first one, and it inspired me. Our neighborhood has a neighborhood uh, Facebook page, so I got on that and said, is anybody interested in being in a book club in the neighborhood? So we have only four members. That's but, okay. Uh, Small is yeah. sometimes optimal. Yeah, and we've been meeting for over a year, and then the docents here in, at The Speed also have a separate book club. Oh, wow. So... I'll join that too because again they were they last April I think were doing a book on a subject I was really really interested in so I went to that one and I really enjoyed it so now I've been um, reading the books and trying to make those meetings too. Hey Amy our scheduling just got a lot better because now we've got two additional book clubs that we can talk about on the show. I'm so excited. So Shannon, so you told us how you picked the first book. So with the subsequent books that you've picked, how did you go about that? It seems like you would have to do a lot of research if you're connecting the book with one of the exhibits that you have in the museum. Right. So the book that we read after the other Alcott was Feminism is for Everybody by Bell Hooks. And we had an exhibition at the time that was all about gender and sexuality. And so that was our first foray into nonfiction. And that was actually a recommendation from our curator of contemporary art who had curated that exhibition. So the first two books were kind of 
delivered to me as, as wrapped presents, which was nice. <laughs> um, and then from there, I started looking at our exhibition calendar and thinking about what exhibitions we had coming up and which books might be a good fit. So what I usually do is just start Googling artists whose names are in the exhibition, or I'll Google art movements if it's an exhibition of a specific time period. Last year, we had an exhibition called Picasso to Pollock, which was all about artists in the first half of the 20th century. I had already read the book The Muralist and knew that it would be a good one to make connections to that exhibition. So that was the first instance of me kind of doing a repeat book for myself. Um, but it really is just Googling words and phrases, looking at Goodreads, looking at Amazon and reading other people's reviews. There have been lots of books that I've checked off as a possibility and then it's had not great reviews. And so that one has been removed from the list. And I should confess, I don't read the books in advance before I pick them. I pick them just based on internet descriptions <laughs> and other people's recommendations. But so far, I would say uh, most of them have been what I've expected them to be. <laughs> have most of the books been nonfiction or do nonfiction books lend themselves more to what you're doing in the book club? Most of what we read has been fiction. Oh, okay. um, so Feminism is for Everybody was our first nonfiction selection. And then earlier this year, we read No Single Sparrow Makes a Summer, which was published by the Louisville Story Program. And it was the stories of young female immigrants. Um, so those are our only two nonfiction selections. But everything else we've read has been fiction. And I might add that the, of those two nonfiction were very much extremes. The feminist one was clearly a scholarly work. The other one was by high school students. So there's a range there, too. Do you feel like that has affected attendance? If it's a really scholarly work, I guess I could see some people maybe being a little bit scared of that. Do well, that think? was one of the biggest ones because I think a lot of global feminists and uh, people in the movement attended that one. The or one... The one thing I'll say about the Bell Hooks session is that at least two people walked into the room and said, oh, I thought Bell Hooks was going to be here today to leave oh! this discussion. <laughs> and I had to say, oh, nope, sorry, it's me. <laughs> well, I wonder with the one that was a little more scholarly, so the Speed Art Museum is on the campus of, or on the edge of campus of the University of mm -hmm. Louisville, and I wonder if you attracted professors, grad students, you know, more academics. Not that I recall. No? Okay. No. no. That was a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> it, it just, it seemed to be, it seemed to draw a lot of people who were truly activists. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, when you meet, so when the book club that Amy and I are in, we get together, we eat, and then eventually we get around to talking about the book. So how is art integrated into what you do with the book club? Tell us, what's the process when people come in for the book club? Sure. So we usually start off by meeting in one of our classroom spaces, just as a home base. And we sit in there and for about 30 to 40 minutes, we go around and do introductions. And then I usually have some questions prepared just about sort of the themes of the book or specific things that I might want to relate to the collection. And so we just talk about the book for about 30 minutes or so. And then we go up into the galleries and that's where we start making connections to artworks. So as I'm reading, I'm annotating and underlining and putting post-it notes on pages where I see things that might relate to an artwork either in an exhibition or in the Speeds collection. And so I pull some of those those quotes out and I might read them in front of an artwork and then we'll talk as a group about okay how does this quote or this passage from the book relate to what we're seeing in this artwork and so I like for that portion of it to be just as conversational and just as interactive as the book discussion is when we're down here in the classroom. <laughs> so you had mentioned that a lot of the books you picked you have picked to go with 
a new exhibit that mm -hmm. you have. Is it always with a new exhibit or do you also do things that are, are just regular works in the collection? We tie things to our permanent collection too. One example of that is at the beginning of this year, back in January, we read a book called The Painted Girls, which is about Edgar Degas and the sculpting of the little dancer, age 14. Um, and that's an artwork that is on loan to the speed right now, and it will be here for quite a while. And so we did a whole session about that artwork and about Degas' work. And then our September book um, is one that ties to the speed's permanent collection as well, looking at artworks that show Abraham Lincoln. I'm actually reading that book right now. So Shannon was kind enough to invite me to one of the um, book clubs. So I went to one this summer to see what it was all about. And I just thought it was amazing meld of arts. So I've never done anything like that before. I, I enjoy going to a museum, but I wouldn't call myself a, necessarily an art lover up until this point in my life, but I've come to enjoy it quite a bit. But I so enjoyed the discussion and bringing the art into it, and I felt that it made both of those things richer. And so I'm wondering with you, Cheryl, how you find the conversation with the art included in the book. I know that you're an art lover anyway. I'm I'm just a an art novice. So <laughs> that's that's something completely new for me. I think it really depends. Uh, you know, we had one book that it was really hard to relate. The clock winder. Winder, yeah. <laughs> it was really, we had a hard time relating that to the art. Well, and that was a session where I was out of town, so Cheryl actually led the book discussion oh! and the tour for that one. So we, That was a lot of pressure. <laughs> we met ahead of time to toss around some ideas, but that's... Sorry to interrupt and no, that, overtake your answer, but that was a book where we had an exhibition at the time that was all about Kentucky tall case clocks. Oh. And the description for the book, the clock winder talked about how this woman is a widow, and so she has all of these clocks in her home to keep her company. So it's like, oh, this sounds like a perfect fit. And then that is mentioned on like one page of the book, and then the rest oh. of it is on like family drama. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was a one where it was harder to find more than just that one connection, oh. but we but did it, it. Yeah, we did. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun, it, and it turned out really, really well. So I, I think the connecting the two just really makes it interesting and gives it a different or a more depth and, and another way of, of looking at it. Uh, as I said, this was my first book club experience, so I kind of came at, into it you know, wide-eyed and curious. I knew there wouldn't be the food and drink that I had already heard of. <laughs> and, I, and, 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 and so far, I have yet to have a book club that really concentrates on food and drink. <laughs> I did go to one book club meeting with my cousin once, and I read the book because it was, it was Hemingway's uh, Movable Feast, I think. Mm. So I'm on vacation, and she says, I want you to go to my book club. So I'm finishing this book within two days, right? To, to, and they talked about it for about five minutes, and I was so disgusted. <laughs> so I figured something at the speed was not going to descend that quickly. <laughs> so it's really nice to go and actually talk about the book. Mm -hmm. And then to have the the added ability to talk about it as it relates to art. And sometimes, as she said, it doesn't necessarily relate to the art, but you're still going to learn something about the art. So any way you look at it, you're learning not just about how other people might view a book, but some interesting information about artworks. So it's a win-win. 
Well, and the session that Amy came to was kind of perfect because we have an exhibition right now all about Hunter S. Thompson and his relationship with his illustrators. And so we read Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, and then we were able to go look at Ralph Steadman's original drawings for the illustrations in that book. And so that was one where we had, you know, one diehard Hunter S. Thompson fan who said he had bought the book like 10 times in his lifetime. And then we had some of our regular book club members who were like, I started the book, but didn't finish it because I didn't like it, but I still came anyway because I thought what we would talk about might make me want to go back and read it. And so I haven't done any follow-up questioning with anybody to see if they went back to finish reading the book. But that was one where I think the art in the the book really went hand in hand. Um, And that was one of our, I think, more rewarding discussions too. When I went, I hadn't read the book and I got a lot out of it having not read the book and not really being a not feeling like I'm very knowledgeable about art either. And I still got a lot out of it. So I would say that it was a very, well, from my point of view, it was a very successful book club. There wasn't wine and food. (laughs) (laughs) That's not a requirement. I mean, we meet at 1130 in the morning. That's true. So I knew knew it was going to be, you know, more of a discussion. (laughs) Shannon, because you talk about like annotating and, how much time would you say you spend? Do you have to go before to look through the collections and pull out things related to the art that you want to especially focus on? I mean, does it take you a lot of time to do that? It doesn't take me that long. Since I've been here for four years and have given tons of tours of the speed, I know the collection and I know what's on view pretty well. So as I'm reading, there may be a phrase or a word that are just, that just sparks something for me that are, that make me think, oh, this could be tied to the specific artwork. So I was talking earlier about reading The Painted Girls, and there's a section in there where Marie, the main character, is talking about having to leave her home and go and work. And we have a, a British painting that's about 50 years earlier than Marie's story, but it's a young woman getting ready to leave home for the first time um, to go off and start earning money to help support her family through working for a wealthy family. And so that, for me, was one where I put a post-it note on it. I was like, okay, I need to think about this connection. And so I'll, I usually read the book about two weeks in advance of the book club and start making some of those notes. And then the week leading up to it, I spend a lot of time in our galleries just looking at artworks with my copy of the book and kind of making notes back and forth between the two. When you are attending as a uh a participant because you're here as a docent do you also do you prep work in advance no. and notice things nope. nope i just i just read the book i'm very straightforward okay. I read the book. <laughs> so do you think that the people who attend the book club come more for the book discussion or for the art or i think it's both, both. i okay. really think it's both i know sometimes we'll have uh, people come because they've already read the book for another book club or whatever and they just want to get more out of it I know. What do you think? I really do think it's a combination of both as Mm -hmm. well. Um, For our very first session, we had a woman who drove down from Chicago to attend the book club because she wanted to see the women artists in the Age of Impressionism exhibition, but she had also been wanting to read the other Alcott. She had been reading reviews of it online. So I really do think it's a combination of both that bring people from one month to the next. Are there any particular challenges that you find with doing a book club that combines those two things? 
For me, the challenge is when I pick a book <laughs> without reading it in advance, I find that maybe it doesn't quite have as right. many connections as I thought there might be. But The Speed has, you know, 13,000 works of art in our collection. Not all of those are on view at any given time, but there's a lot of art to choose from. So even if it doesn't connect in the way that I thought it might, there are other creative opportunities to make connections to the book. So uh, one thing I'm curious about, when you were talking about seeing the artwork that was of the girl who had to go to work, Work mm-hmm. 50 years before. I, I guess I'm thinking logistically, do you tend to stay in one spot when you're looking at art or do you have the potential to go all over the speed? We have the potential to go all over. If it's the book is connected to a special exhibit, then we're not going to wander as much. Like when we had the women in impressions, well, that was in a very specific area. And that Alcott book also one of the wonderful things about it was that it mentioned by name a lot of the artists that were in that exhibit, so you could actually stop and look at those. The clock thing is, we had that exhibit in one spot, but it really, because it was the title was sort of a misnomer as far as what we were concerned was, we did kind of wander around to connect it, so it really depends on the book. Are there other museums doing things like this, or was it your brainchild? No, there are lots and lots of other museums (laughs) that do programs like this. And in fact, before I was here, I was at the Cincinnati Art Museum, and they had a similar program. But there we collaborated with the library, and so the library would actually make book suggestions. um, And then our docents were the ones who were leading the discussion and the tour. The idea came a little bit from my time there and overseeing Mm -hmm. that program, but there are museums around the country who have similar programs. And in fact... I'm one of the other house museums uh, where I volunteer. We're thinking about starting a book club for that. Really? Which house would that be? (laughs) The the Conrad Caldwell House. Oh, okay. okay. So so those books would be focusing on um, women in the early, late 19th, early 20th century, probably. But and we probably won't. If we do it, it probably won't be till the until this winter. But we're we have a list of things we're thinking about. That's a really another book club, Amy. So there's the room, it, and I mean, I remember this being here for years and years and years. The the wooden, I don't mm-hmm. know what it's called. The English oh, Renaissance yeah. room. The English Renaissance <laughs> room. Okay. So I think it's been here for probably 30 years. A longer. I mean, technically, it's been in the Speeds collection since the 1940s. Okay. So then I can say with, with surety that it has been here since I was a child. Mm-hmm. Have you done any type of book club related to that room just because I think when people or at least me and I think even kids I mean my when I've brought my kids they're like oh this room is so cool so have you done anything in relation to that room or would you consider it we haven't but that's a great idea for next year (laughs) (laughs) because we could do the room we could do all of that sort of renaissance yeah Uh, that would be a really incredible and there's so many good books that relate yeah, to that yeah. period. Well, and even just the the door for the room has so many scenes from Ovid's Metamorphosis. Mm-hmm. I don't know that we could task people with, <laughs> with yeah. reading that if anybody would show up, but thinking about maybe contemporary interpretations of yeah. Ovid or, you know, there <laughs> are plenty of opportunities. And then school yeah, kids, when we go in there, always want to talk about Harry Potter. Yeah, yes. with the it does feel very <laughs> yes. Harry Potter. Yeah, Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but I'm sure. just now starting to think about what our books will be for 2020, so I will add that as a possibility to my list. Awesome. I guess there's endless possibilities <laughs> with all the different really artwork are. and the new exhibits that you get in. The Speed also has a theater where they show some art films. Have you ever done anything with that? We have not yeah. collaborated with the Speed Cinema. What I've done the last for this past year was try to set the calendar before the end of the 
previous year so that we could announce it in January. These are all of our books that we're reading for the next year and we've printed a bookmark and everything like that. Because distribution schedules are always changing and kind of coming up so rapidly, the Speed Cinema schedule isn't typically planned out that far in advance, but there may be an opportunity to do a pop-up book club at some point in the future with the cinema too. I love it. Pop-up yeah. book club. I know. That's awesome. <laughs> in, in fact, I, I caught part of uh, the Johnny Depp Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Yeah, It's almost word for word the book. It's oh, really wow. weird. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so have there been any pairings, discussions that you thought were the most memorable? Either one of you? Well, I think the women in Impressionism was, it was just like a perfect fit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you couldn't ask for anything that was more relatable. Mm-hmm. And that was one, too, where even though there weren't any of May Alcott's paintings in the exhibition, you can find images of them online pretty easily. So we were able to look at some of May's work in comparison with the work of her contemporaries, too. And like Cheryl said earlier, there were several artists named in the book, like Mary Cassatt or Elizabeth Gardner, who had several paintings in the show. So we could really help to bring those characters to life. I think for me, my most memorable or the one that felt like it gelled the most was the one for the Painted Girls in January of this year. Just because when I start, when I picked the book, I really thought it was connected to The Little Dancer. But as I was reading it, you know, we were able to connect it to Going to Service, that painting that I was talking about earlier about the young woman going to work. And we were able to connect it to a sculpture that was a study for a sculpture that is on the exterior of the Paris Opera House. And in the book, Marie talks about walking past that sculpture and making eye contact and wow, we have that right here that we can use. And then at the time, we had a small drawing by Degas um, of a woman named Miss Lala, who was an acrobat at the circus. And so we were able to look at that and kind of make comparisons between how he depicts this female performer versus how he depicts the 14-year-old ballerina. And there were just so many passages in the book about her experience posing for him and her interactions with him as an artist and him and herself as his model, um, that it really just helped to bring that artwork to life. And, and in new way and it's an artwork that so many people are familiar with that it really gave us new ways to kind of think about it and deal with it and interpret it in the galleries. And I also think as far as the art itself is concerned it was a good example of how people's tastes change because when he did that it was so negatively received and she was regarded as ugly and she in the book she she feels she's ugly because she has these certain characteristics and now we wouldn't we wouldn't even consider the thing an issue. So it's interesting to see how society moves on both in literature and in art. I, I mean, because I'm I'm similar to Amy. I, I like art, but I don't I appreciate it probably as much as I should. So it sounds like if you're a person who likes books, this would be sort of a new way to gain greater appreciation maybe of a, of a fine arts category that you may not feel as comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think it definitely takes away some of the intimidation factor. I think there's a lot of in- people who come to an art museum and feel kind of intimidated by it because they don't, I mean, they can look at it and say, I like it or I don't like it, but don't feel like they can describe it, don't have the words maybe to describe technically what's going on. And I feel like this is a way um, for someone maybe like me to feel less intimidated by that because when you read a book and it's describing it then you can project that onto the painting also it makes me think of 
something that I do, which is when I'm visiting a new place, if I'm traveling somewhere, I like to read a book about that place. Mm -hmm. And it helps me gain an appreciation of where I'm visiting, but it also enriches the book that I'm reading. And it seems like it's that same kind of give and take Mm -hmm. that's going on with this. You said the book club meets every other month. Is that correct? So what's on tap for the rest of this year? So we meet again on September 28th, and we're reading a book called These Honored Dead by Jonathan F. Putnam. This is the one I was mentioning earlier that has connections with Abraham Lincoln artworks in our collection. So the book is a fictional account of Abraham Lincoln and Joshua Fry Speed, who um, are solving murders on the Illinois frontier. And Joshua Fry Speed has a very significant connection to the Speed Art Museum because he is the uncle of James Breckenridge Speed, for whom we are named, for whom we were founded. And so For me, it was just kind of a a quirky connection that I wanted to explore. I knew I wanted to do something with our Abraham Lincoln collection because I love presidential history and he's one of my favorite presidents. And so when I found this book, I was like, it sounds goofy and it's kind of outside of the norm from what we would normally read. But I'm really excited to see how people react to it and to see what connections we can make with it. And this is the first, and I think there's four. It's a trilogy, Yes, and the author, I, I'm reading it right now, the author is an amateur <laughs> Lincoln scholar. He's, yeah. a, he's a lawyer in London, mm-hmm. I believe, but, you know, supposedly th- did his homework, you know, about Lincoln. So. Well, and I've, I've seen a few headlines, too. They're hoping to turn it into a television series. Really? So. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I read it, and murder mysteries set in a historical setting are one of my favorite ways of, you know, it's like spoon-feeding your history. Yes, you, you, uh-huh. You, you get the, the, the color and the flavor, and it all made a lot of sense just as far as explaining why there were so many Kentuckians in Springfield, Illinois. It made you know, it makes perfect sense. It gives you a real feeling for the period, the attitudes. And it's a murder mystery, so it's a quick read. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then our book for November, just to give that one a quick plug too, is a book called Three Girls in a Flat, which is by the artist Enid Yandel. And the whole city of Louisville is actually celebrating Enid's 150th birthday this year. So there are several museums around town that have Enid exhibitions, including one here at The Speed. And so this is Enid's account of living and working in Chicago while she was participating in the World's Fair. And so it is another work of nonfiction, but it's an artist's firsthand account of what it meant to be a female artist working in the 19th century. And so it will be really fun to be able to tie that to our collection and to our installation here at The Speed, too. What other museums are also having exhibits about her? Do you know? Wilson. Yes. The library. So I noticed when y'all did the Hunter Thompson book Mm -hmm. pairing and the exhibit here that there were several other museums in town or organizations that were also having exhibits. And just as a citizen of the city, I think that is a really cool thing because you can, not all the exhibits are the same. They're focused on different things. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I had been to the Frazier Historical Museum Mm -hmm. earlier in the summer and seen an exhibit on Hunter Thompson as well. I just think it's cool when there's sort of this synergy. Synergy. Yes, that's the word, synergy. (laughs) And do you have to be a member of the Speed Art Museum to attend the book club? You do not. The book club is free with admission. So if you're a member, admission to the Speed is always free. If you are not a member, you would just pay admission and then you could join the book club when you're here that Saturday. You were talking about planning in advance. So if somebody wants to get a head start on next year, is that 
on the website? They're not yet. I'm just now starting to think about what the books for 2020 okay. will be. Okay. Um, but once those are set, we will put them up on our website. We usually make Facebook events for each of the book club sessions. So you can always check out the Speeds Facebook page. And then we'll also produce another bookmark for next year too that will list all of the titles for 2020. And you can pick those up here at the Speed. We also usually sell the books here in the museum store in advance of the book club as well. Okay, well, we are going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about what we're reading. We are back here at the Speed Art Museum with Shannon Carroll and Cheryl Sweeney and and Carrie and we're going to talk a little bit about what we are all reading right now. So Carrie, what are you reading? So I actually just finished Something Wicked This Way Comes on audiobook by Ray Bradbury and I had actually been inspired to pick that one up because I read The Night Gardener not too long ago. And at the back of that, that's a children's book. And at the back, Jonathan Oxier says that what inspired him as a child was something wicked this way comes. So that was the reason I picked it up. I listened to it on audiobook. And I think I was expecting it to be super scary. And it wasn't super scary, but it was definitely creepy. It tells the story of this carnival that comes to town and two boys start to discover things about this carnival that are very strange and macabre. And so it's about their struggle to deal with what the carnival does to the town. So I, I think because I had read this children's book and I was expecting it to be something that would frighten me. But then I remembered, oh yeah, I'm not a child. So um, <laughs> so it didn't, but it was definitely creepy. And I really feel there were some things that I feel like I maybe would have been better served to read the book rather than listen to it because there were some places where I wasn't entirely sure what was going on. Like there's one point where there's a witch and she's kind of up in the sky and I wasn't sure like if she's on a broomstick or if she's in a balloon or what was going on. So that could have just been, you know, I zoned out and then had a hard time figuring out. Or it could have been that it was the audiobook and I really needed the text version. But it's a good book. If you like to read sort of creepy things, you know, maybe around Halloween, that would be a good book. And also I think it would be something that kids could read. You know, kids these days are the things that scare them are so much scarier than the things that might have scared us in the 80s. So I would recommend it to kids. I think they could read it and get something out of it for sure. I definitely want to read it this Halloween season, but do you think I should stick with the book and pass on the audiobook version? Yeah, I would say, yeah, book. I always think of Ray Bradbury as science fiction. So I've never, I've only read his science fiction. I didn't even right. know he wrote books yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's most famous for Fahrenheit 451. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what about you, Cheryl? I know you were super excited about one that you read in one of your book clubs, um, your I, mini, mini book clubs. <laughs> I just finished The Song of Achilles by Madeline Miller. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's beautifully written. It's a unique telling of the story of the relationship between Achilles and Patroclus, who barely mentioned in the Iliad, but it's it's mostly about their relationship, and most of it takes place pr- 
prior to the uh, Trojan War. So it's interesting to see how she not only uses that relationship, but she really gets into some of the things about the Trojan War itself. So I really like that. Have you read Circe? Her not yet. Okay, I'm going to after reading that one. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't read either of hers, but they're definitely on my list. Um, I love historical retelling or fictional retellings of historical right. books. And I guess that's not really a historical book, is it? it, it it's it, it's, it's a, a legend, a very right, well-established literature. <laughs> yes. But I, one of the things I have to commend her on, is this is a story about the relationship about two men, and it's written by a woman. And it's just, I just think her ability to, to get in there was amazing. What about you, Shannon? What are you reading? I feel like I don't read for fun very much <laughs> anymore. I mean, I read for the Speed Reading Book Club, which is always fun. But a lot of the books I've been reading lately have been like management and museum studies books. But over my summer vacation, I did read two books by the Irish author Sally Rooney. One is called Conversations with Friends, and then the other is called Normal People. And they're both set in Dublin and at Trinity College. Um, and when I was a junior in college, I studied abroad at Trinity. So for me, it was a chance to kind of revisit my old stomping grounds from those days and to think about kind of the places I had visited and the memories I had made there with friends through the lenses of the friendships and relationships in these two books. Oh, I definitely have to read those. I'm a sucker for Irish writers, Irish literature. Did you have one that you favored a little bit more than the other? Um, I think I probably liked Normal People a little bit more, but they were both really great and really quick reads too. Okay. Good vacation reading. Good vacation reading. <laughs> so how about you, Amy? What have you been reading? So I just finished an audiobook recently called Gulp, Adventures in the Alimentary Canal. I have that book. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you all about it. I got about, I'm about three chapters into it, I think. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's a book by Mary Roach, who is a popular science slash humorist. It, it came out in 2013. She's probably best known for a book called Stiff. Uh, the Curious Lives of Cadavers. But she's also written a book about sex, about life in space, about paranormal events. So this book starts in the mouth, where you would put your food, and ends, obviously, where those things come out. <laughs> and she pretty much goes over every bizarre or strange question or even urban legends that you could have about anything that happens between those two points. So it sort of reminded me of a very focused Ripley's Believe It or Not, but on one particular subject and more in depth. And she doesn't shy away from anything gross or for using words like fart or asshole or anything like that. There's a lot of jokes in here. To me, mo most of them were very corny. But I listened to it on audiobook, so it's certainly possible that the narrator, she wasn't great. So it's possible that the jokes sort of fell flat just because she didn't deliver them properly that maybe if I had read them, I would have found them f funnier. But there was... A, there were just very memorable lines or things in here. For instance, I did not know this, but the slang for a rectum is a prison wallet, which I thought was very interesting <laughs> because they're always smuggling things like that. Another quote was, thy digestive tract is like the Amtrak train from Seattle to Los Angeles. It takes about 30 hours and the scenery on the last leg is pretty monotonous. <laughs> Uh, overall, I like the book. I'd like to try others by her. She makes science fun and interesting um, for people who don't have a high tolerance for scientific 
jargon or technology, but it's definitely gross. So if you get wigged out easily by bodily functions or think that we shouldn't be talking about burps, farts, pee and poo, then this book probably isn't for you. The audio version was okay. The narrator wasn't great. I think for her next book that I read, I will definitely just read it and not listen to it. So there you go. So I'm curious. We seem to end up talking about like things that young boys would like to read. <laughs> Is this something that, I, I mean, I, I know it's not YA, but it's not something that young. I think it's overly complicated. For kids. Yeah, really? I think. Okay. When, I, when I said that there wasn't a lot of scientific jargon, that's not exactly right. I mean, she everything that she talks about is based in science. I mean, she goes and talks to scientists, experts in their fields about, oh, okay. about fart. You know what I mean? So there is a lot of scientific technology. It's just that she makes it kind of fun and funny. So... Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think kids would like it okay. or even understand most of it. Okay. I, well, okay. I think a teenager could. Okay. I, but but I would say probably anybody below 15, okay. it might be too complicated. So, so that sweet spot of grossness that most boys go, go through between like 8 and 12, Yeah, 13. yeah this is past and that. This, okay. this is, and this is a different kind of gross, by the okay. way. Okay, okay. <laughs> Okay. It's it's reminded me a little bit of Smoke in Your Eyes, which oh, okay. is a book that we have talked about a little bit on an, on another episode. Okay. Uh, but, I mean, it's like... It's it, meatier. Meaty. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. Well, so. that's good to know. <laughs> so, so I wouldn't recommend it to your boys just yet. Save gotcha. it for a few years. Okay. When we come back, we are going to ask Shannon and Cheryl some questions. Uh, since we have two guests, we... And this is a... a show about reading we didn't really get the top five we can't count so anyway it'll be like the top four times two We are back at The Speed with Shannon Carroll and Cheryl Sweeney, and we are going to be asking them their top four. All right, Shannon, let's start with you. What is your top art piece at The Speed? My favorite artwork at The Speed is the portrait of a couple represented as Ulysses and Penelope by the Dutch artist Jan de Bray. It's my favorite portrait, my favorite artwork really, to use on tours because there's a lot of symbolism and meaning that you can unpack with guests, um, but it's also an artwork that's inspired by literature, which makes it perfect for today's discussion too. Yes, it does. I honestly don't have a favorite, <laughs> but one I usually point out to people as I'm taking them for my regular tour is the statue of Nydia, the blind flower girl of Pompeii, and that's because it has a strong connection to an event here in Louisville in 1883, which was a Southern Exposition, and this statue was the most popular statue in the U.S. in the late 19th century. So there are a lot of copies of it. So I find it interesting that we have a copy of it along with the Met in New York and the Art Institute, among others. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't know that. Wow. So for yourselves personally, if you were going to be an artist whose work was displayed at the museum, what medium would you choose? So I am not an artist at all, so I would be pleased with any medium. <laughs> But I, I do think that there's something really um, delicate and beautiful about watercolor, so mm -hmm. I think that would be my top choice. <laughs> well, as Shannon said, I'm not an artist, and I have absolutely no artistic talent, so I would go for performance art. <laughs> <laughs> 
like blue man troops. <laughs> what? No, that's, I hate that. <laughs> I, have, I have seen them more times than I ever want to see. I never want to see them again. No, I mean, just performance art because you don't have to be able to have perspective or draw <laughs> or I do any that. of those things yes. I really admire as far as artists are yes. concerned. So I would say ceramics because I took pottery classes for a few years and I love doing it but I could never get past being just mediocre which is okay I found it very stress relieving and kind of like a zen thing to do but I I just I love ceramics and pottery I like looking I mainly like using them like a good <laughs> coffee mug you can't beat a good, good coffee mug but that would be you're so practical <laughs> all right so both of you, either professionally or as a volunteer, you work in a museum. Um, so what is your top memorable museum experience? So for me, it happened at the Art Institute of Chicago. I had been participating in a week-long seminar there for museum educators, and this was our very last day together in the galleries. Um, but rather in the galleries, we were outside in their sculpture garden, and we had the only way I can describe it is that we had a, a choreographed encounter with a work of art that was on display in the sculpture garden. And so one of the people who had been leading the seminar kept giving us instructions. So walk up and touch the artwork, um, tell it a secret, listen to hear what secrets it has to tell to you. And the artwork that we were interacting with is just a large granite probably some sort of like big stone wall with some rough edges around it kind of the most unassuming artwork and one I probably would have walked right past but it became this very moving experience because we were having this very like personal one-on-one -on -one interaction with it but we were also all doing it as a group at the same time and it was just this group of people I had formed relationships with over the week and it I know it became this very moving experience and then three years later I visited the art institute and saw it again and like had the emotions welling up oh, inside wow. of me just seeing it again so it sounds a little wacky and a little out there, but it was by far my most memorable and moving museum experience. Wow. Do you think that that experience could be replicated with any piece of art? Or was there something about that particular piece of art? I think it could work with any artwork. It was more about the, the people I was having the experience with than it was the artwork, I think. But, you know, you can't touch most artwork. <laughs> That's true. That's so that true. was one of the things that made that one more special. <laughs> what about you, Cheryl? Uh, I don't have anything, I guess, deep. The thing that I, the most surprising thing that ever happened to me was uh, I was in the Academia looking at um, Michelangelo's David, mm -hmm. and across from me was a girl I had worked with here uh, at Penny during the summer when I was in school. <laughs> <laughs> and she was there on her honeymoon. Oh, wow. So it's more of a small world. <laughs> yeah, it's very much a small world, yes. And it really brings it home to you, you know, how small the world is and, and how... You never know who you're going to see and where you're going to see them. <laughs> I, it's interesting that you bring up uh, Michelangelo's David. My husband and I went to Italy any number of years ago and and saw that. And I think that if you see it in in books, you you just can't wrap your head around how big and amazing it is. I mean, you, when you see it in person, and I would say that's probably one of my most memorable art experiences, to see it in person and to see, you know, I mean, it looks like a real body and the veins and the muscles and all that. And it's huge and just, just really overpowering. And you would never get that from seeing it on a TV show or seeing it in a book. So for me, that's my most memorable. 
I think that's one of the most surprising things when you do go to any art or architectural site. No picture can really replicate it. Actually, the biggest surprise I ever had was when I went to Florence for the first time and saw the cathedral, the Duomo. I have never seen a picture that has really captured the colors mm-hmm. in that. Mm-hmm. Never. And I, I, I really think that people are doing themselves an injustice when they think, oh, I can just look at a picture of something. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'll say just from leading school tours and even tours for adults here at The Speed, the number one question we always hear from guests is, is this real? <laughs> so the idea of coming and seeing an artwork in real life is something that, you know, most people can't wrap their heads around and they need that reassurance. Like, yes, this is the one of a kind, original, real deal. Wow. Even just with pictures of nature. I mean, there've been so many times Mm. when I have been out on a hike or I've been traveling and I see this amazing natural site and you try to take a picture of Mm -hmm. it and it doesn't look, you just can't capture the beauty of it in a picture. Now, I suppose if you're like a photographer, they have, I mean, you see beautiful (laughs) photographs of things. I can't personally do it, but but it's still different. It's still different than, you know, seeing it Right. right in front of you. I guess I guess that's the thing. As overwhelmed as you might feel seeing a picture of the David or a picture of Yellowstone, ramp that up times 10 or more, and that's what it would be like to see it in person. But also you're bringing in all these other senses when you're seeing mm-hmm. something in person. Mm-hmm. And I think that really affects how you, how you can do it. I mean, anything you see in a picture, it's a flat surface, so you're not getting any of the dimensionality. You're not getting... Even the smells and sounds around it. Mm-hmm. I mean, all that affects everything. Right. Besides the speed, do you have a top art museum that you have visited? So mine is a museum of contemporary art in, just outside of Copenhagen. It's called oh. Louisiana. Um, and that was the first museum where I saw one of Yayoi Kusama's infinity rooms. Um, and they just had beautiful outdoor sculpture, but also just an amazing in, indoor collection of contemporary art, too. So that, for me, has been my favorite museum that I visited. Well, I have to go with the Art Institute because I've been a, a member there for 30 years. And... Every time I go back to Chicago, I have to go, and I have certain rooms I have to go in and certain portraits and certain pictures I have to see, and then the new stuff's good, too. <laughs> Let's see what, what else has been added. Uh, but I must say that the last time I went, it just really, I just really realized how rich that museum and places like the Met are, and that maybe, I don't want to sound like a socialist or something, but <laughs> maybe things should be distribute it more. Mm. I mean, the Art Institute has a whole room of Pissarros. We have a, I mean, it's just, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the Met has things that you can pull out and look at because they don't have space for it. Mm-hmm. So I think when people are l- giving artworks or money to museums, they need to start thinking about the smaller ones mm. the, because the big ones have enough. Right. <laughs> well, and really... I mean, I feel like I have been to a lot of smaller art museums in recent years, just when we've traveled different places. And, you know, everybody thinks about, you know, the big art museums in in Europe or the Met or the Institute in Chicago. But all all of these slightly smaller art museums are really amazing. The one in Indianapolis Mm -hmm. is very nice. Um, I went to the one... Um, in New Orleans recently, you know, it, it's not a an all-day, multiple-day thing like maybe it would be at the Met, but they've got some really nice pieces. And I think there's something about 
uh, a small museum that feels more accessible as well. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, it democratizes it when everybody can access it. Mm -hmm. That democratizes art and makes it something that everybody can enjoy. I think it makes it more manageable, too, because when you go to some place like Boston or the Met, these are not only all day suckers, they've been longer than that. So you're you're mushing your way through them sometimes. <laughs> whereas this one is really nice because you can see it all yes. at a decent pace. You can take yes. it all in. Mm-hmm. Uh, the giant ones sometimes, we were in Italy last fall, and I got to the place where I thought, if I see another Madonna, I'll fall off. <laughs> and that's, that's given that... Renaissance and Baroque are my favorite periods. Right. Oh, wow. I had enough. <laughs> <laughs> Saturation point. Yeah. Yeah. So I have one more question, and this isn't part of this top five, but so the Speed has a new art installation right out front of the museum, and it looks like a stack of books. And I want to ask you about that. What What is it? And and, and what's it about? Can we call it a stack of books? <laughs> So the piece is called 30 by the Irish sculptor Sean Skelly. And he was here earlier this year for a lecture. And so that piece is on loan to the speed right now. Um, So it just installed, gosh, two weeks ago, I think, a week or two ago, um, just as students were coming back onto campus. And so it's a really bright, colorful stack of 30 squares um, and books. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, art is always open to interpretation. So you can call them books if you want to call them books. Absolutely. can be our new mascot our new icon for the speed reading book club so for those who'd be interested in attending the book club how do they get more information about it so you can always go to our website which is speedmuseum.org or you can mark your calendars we meet the last saturday every other month um, from 11 30 until 1 p.m so we'll be meeting this month on saturday september 28th to discuss these honored dead okay yeah, well I it do. has been great meeting with you all today I think your book club is amazing. I've been telling Carrie about it and that she needs to to come to one with me. It it makes me super excited about art. And I actually did join the speed and I've never done that before oh, after yay. I came to the last book club. <laughs> so see, you know. See, we'll suck you in. You'll suck <laughs> me in. So thank you so much for having us here at the speed today. Thank you for having us on the podcast. Yeah, this was fun. Listeners, if you are interested in any of the art we talked about today, the Speed Museum is open to all. On Sundays, admission is free for everyone. And if you like our show and want to support us, please hop on over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review. It would mean so much. And if you subscribe to our show on your podcasting platform, you will never miss an episode. And don't forget to check out our Facebook page where we post interesting articles and bookish news. Recently, we've posted book reviews, articles about people and places mentioned on the show, as well as author giveaways. Thanks for joining us today. For show notes for any episode, please go to our blog site at www.perksofbeingabooklover.com. Follow us on Facebook at Perks of Being a Book Lover and on Instagram at Perks of Being a Book Lover Pod to see what we're up to and when new episodes air. If you enjoy our show, spread the word and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps other listeners find us. Finally, a huge thank you to Forward Radio 106.5 FM, a grassroots, community-based radio station in Louisville, Kentucky. You can find our show there, live or in archives, at forwardradio.org, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts.